What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> so there's stuff on there for everybody. It's really cool. Real quick, we need to introduce ourselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know. So I'm done half a bike. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You got to backtrack on some of this. <laughs> Rewind. I got it. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast. <laughs> Lee McClellan, co-host of the podcast. Hope everybody's doing well during these trying times. And our guest today is Rachel Young. Hello, everyone. Happy to be back. I believe I was on. It's been a while. 2019, early. Mm -hmm. You weren't here for that. You uh, you were not here that day. It was Becky Wallen and I. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So this is my first time I being think on I was, with you. I was out in the field that day or yeah. something, wasn't it? I'll tell you, it's been, it's been a long time since we've done a podcast in generally. Mm -hmm. Last yeah, one we did was walking around the lake mm -hmm. when all this first started. And it's just been hard to get. Well, I look back at my notes. I was like, April 4th. Wow. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been way too long. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just been hard to get together. I think everybody probably understands that. Yeah. So today we're lucky to, to be here. And mm -hmm. before we just did our introductions, you guys started just having a conversation on your own. And it was a really good conversation. Went a little long and I thought to myself, we need to do intros. I mm -hmm. couldn't include all this, but <laughs> at some point I was like, oh, we're 10 minutes into this conversation and I don't want 10 minutes of radio without telling people who, who, we we're, who mm -hmm. we're talking to. Yeah. So you guys were talking about the videos that Slato yeah. did on the Facebook page and where you can find them now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Rachel, real quick, recap that. The whole conversation you and Lee just had. The whole we'll convo. Yeah. Let's run it back. Real quick. Run it back. Now, okay, I took some notes so we can start oh, from the perfect. top. Okay. The YouTube page now yeah. used to be only on Facebook. Yeah. So, back in April, when everything started shutting down, kids were out of school, parents were home from work. Um, so actually, March 18th was the first video. Wow, it's been that long. Mm -hmm. So, scratch that, March 18th was the first video. <laughs> wow, uh, it was two weeks late. So, we started doing Facebook Live education sessions. Um, and the first one was completed by Alex Klein, who is a new conservation educator with the department. He was hired on uh, this winter or so. He's been with the department. It's, yeah, at camp, but he's full-time now, yeah. uh, which is great. We're lucky to have him. But he did the first one on Kentucky fish, and uh, the second one I did on Kentucky snakes. And then from there on, we had uh, conservation educators from the Information and Education Division of Fish mm -hmm. and Wildlife. We have had conservation officers. We've had biologists uh, from wildlife and fisheries. Uh, we've had so many different people hop on on these Facebook Live daily sessions and talk about their job or a very specific thing within their job field. Um, so that was really cool. I think a lot of people got a lot out of it. We did them all the way up until first week of May. It was, May, was that right? Yeah, it was into May. Yeah. Ba I mean, basically, we had conservation educators and people who were doing classes in classrooms for students and for groups all the time. And then when COVID hit, obviously we can't do that. Mm -hmm. We can't be doing that. And uh, schools are closed anyway. So instead of our conservation educators being able to go somewhere and teach people, they basically hosted a live video on Facebook. Yes. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it was really popular, especially at first. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it was brought, I think people, which, which big agency, um, the AP, the picked, AP up. picked Yeah, it AP up. picked up on it and pushed <laughs> yeah. it. And so we had... Um, or you all, with Slato, Rachel, and you all. Had, did we do um, a release on that? Yeah, yeah we did a release there was. Mm -hmm. But we did, um, and the governor, I think, even mentioned it in a press conference once. I think I think I missed it, but I did hear that he did mention it. But yeah. So basically, teachers were having their classes tune in and and watch these videos to get some, you know, education in from mm -hmm. home. And it, it worked, worked out really well. And those are now available on, like yeah, you said. Yeah, discuss the migration to yeah. YouTube. Yeah, the YouTube page. Yeah, so... Um, 
obviously they were on Facebook, they were Facebook Live videos, uh, but not everybody has a Facebook page. And those that don't have a Facebook page, didn't. some of them didn't want to make one just for these videos, which is totally understandable. Um, and we wanted them to be available in perpetuity. Uh, mm -hmm. We wanted them to essentially live on, you know, somewhere else for our education um, supplementation. So we uploaded them onto the YouTube page, yeah. the department's YouTube page, not Kentucky Fields, because there are still, two. They're still going up on YouTube. Yes, and not all of them have been uploaded. They are being uploaded in batches um, because we did a lot of videos. Yeah. I can't, I don't know the number, but we did one every day at 1 p.m., five days a week. It was quite a few. It was quite mm -hmm. a few, yeah. So if somebody's interested in that, we did a lot. You can get on there and at least thumb through the titles on YouTube. Yes, yeah. And, uh, Just scroll and through and see if anything interesting. You click on one and scroll through, correct? Yeah, yeah. And then I believe, Chase, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were actually put into playlists on the YouTube page. and Because I was looking for them the other day, and it if you click on the playlist, it'll it rotate says, through them It just says educational programs, but... Yeah, it, it looks like there's probably one on there. Okay. We'll have to look into it further, but I wanted to get the story about what you guys were talking out, talking about leading up to that out of the way pretty quick. Now we need to know, just real quick, Rachel, yeah. what, do you, what do you do? Oh, okay. What's your title? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so I work for the department. <laughs> we're a bit rusty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while. So uh, I'm a conservation educator. I was on the podcast back in 2019 as a conservation educator. Um, but within the conservation educator classification, there are different titles that kind of go along with it. So back at Salado, I'm the internship coordinator. Internship um, coordinator. Yes, yeah. So, um, and I haven't even gotten to get my first interns yet. I started back there back in November, October-ish, um, after I switched over from R3, and my first round of interns was supposed to start this spring, mm -hmm. and I got to call them and tell them that they got the internship. I got to see them in person one time, and then I had to call them and tell them that we were closing. Yep, that's... So um, they were totally understandable. It was uh, a very good conversation we had, but I did feel so bad about that. Um, but I am looking forward to the opportunity when I get my first interns back there. Because that's where I started out, was as an intern with Salado, mm -hmm. back when I was 19. I'm looking for these videos right now. All right, so that's what you do, that's who you are. We talked about these videos. The ones that you did, because I think you did two presentations, right? I did right? three. You did three, the first one was reptiles. No, the first one was snakes. Snakes. Yep. Which are reptiles. Yeah. I was only half there, wrong. But there is a reptile program. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm saying so. Um, so reptiles, what were the other two you did? I did a virtual tour of Salado. Oh, that's right. And I did backyard introduction to backyard birding. We oh, went cool. over. Yeah. I really liked that one. That was a fun one to do. All right. I so like I, that you know, I'm the first blue-green gnat catcher the other night. Oh, aren't they so sweet? Mm-hmm. They're I so did. tiny. I, I told Lee on the phone last night that I actually had one of my bird feeder uh, a couple days ago, too. It was up in a tree. Above me, I've got an old privet, which is an ornamental tree that was, we've got all these, my, my neighborhood was developed in the early 60s. Mm -hmm. So we have all these ornamental trees that no one does anymore, like Japanese privet and silkwood oh, and all cool. these yeah. really trippy things that looked, you know, that reflect the times kind of. But he was in the top of one. And man, that little tail flicking, and oh, they yeah. were just nailing little insects, I guess. But. Yeah, yeah. And that white eyering is a dead giveaway mm -hmm. for what you're looking at. I see them. I remember the first time I saw one, I was really excited because they're so tiny mm -hmm. and they're kind of hard to spot in thick woods. And now I don't stop seeing them. I see them everywhere now. I see them and hear them all over the place. Um, and rose-breasted grosbeaks. I heard. Are <laughs> I got to put out some black oil. I meant to buy everywhere. some. Everywhere. Rachel Croom has been. I've only had them one time. Oh, my gosh. She had four at her feeder. That's she what... was taking a picture of one and 
after she looked back at the picture, she noticed there was another one in the background of the picture. Um, so they're all over her property. They're everywhere right now. Several years ago, we had a really hard freeze in late April. I went to Keeneland and it snowed four inches that day. And then two days later, it was 70. Um, but during that interim, I saw this giant. I was like, that is the weirdest, biggest finch with this giant beak. Yeah. And it was the female gross, gross beak. Gross beak. The and female. Then, they... then the male showed up the yeah. next night. I was like, honey, honey. We were like, oh, my God, look. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I ran and told Rick Hill because Rick is, you know, Mr. Birder. Yeah. So. The females trip people But he up said he's time. had a bunch of them. Yeah. They're everywhere this spring. You guys are kind of bouncing all over what I wanted to talk about today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, no, no you, you guys are doing great. Uh, so... The birds, obviously, I know what Rachel's good at or what she's into as far as, you know, wildlife in Kentucky goes. I think about birds. I think about trees. I think about stuff like that, right? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of the non-game species and mm -hmm. things that are, I mean, obviously, a tree isn't something we could be a game species or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, just, it's just wildlife. We do need them. Um, yes. So what, what? tell me real quick, what are your outdoor experiences? Like fishing, hunting, uh, yeah. herping, birds? Like, what do you do? Yeah, so I hunt. I grew up hunting deer, and I hunted turkey for the first time ever last year. Okay. And it was the most fun I've ever had hunting. I will say that. Okay. I didn't get to do it this year, um, but I just started that last year. As far as fishing goes, I didn't get into fishing until a couple years ago. Um, I was... My family grew up fishing, but I was the kid. Did you grow up here in town? I grew up in Frankfurt. I did. Huh. and But I was the kid that sat at the end of a dock with a book instead yeah. of fishing. Because mm -hmm. I was like, well, if I'm going to be doing something like this, I may as well read. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't know. I'm going to get a bite. So that was kind of the attitude I had growing up. And then um, I was just kind of, I think, I really feel like it was when I got into R3, there were, as a kid, it's like fishing is one thing. You you, you cast and you're real. You know, that's that's how I pictured it for the longest time. And then I got older and was like, wait, this is really fun and challenging, mm -hmm. like a fun sport, because I was not good at sports growing up. So mm -hmm. this was something for me that I could, like, get better at. It was a challenge. Um, so now I've started fishing. Not a lot. I'm still easing my way into it because I'm not super confident in it yet, especially going on public land um, and kind of finding a good place to go. Mm. But um, I do... I got a little bit into fly fishing there for a little bit, hanging out with the Trout Unlimited mm -hmm. uh, organization up in Louisville. I've so, spoken in front of those guys. There, yeah, right? they invited me to one of their meetings last year. They're so much fun. Lee um, Squires is a Lee good guy. Lee Squires is a great guy, yeah. Mm. Do you still get their newsletter? Just got the other day. Me yeah. too. Oh, every time I'm like, Lee, I love your editor's corner. It's my mm -hmm. favorite part. Um, so that's basically my, my uh, experience with that. Fishing is new for me, but I do like it. I'm getting into it more and more. Fishing's kind of like... I mean, I, this is like the biggest cliche thing. You kind of just got to get your feet wet and jump into it. Mm -hmm. you Seriously, know, You're talking yeah. about the fear of going somewhere public and trying to find the right spot. It, you just kind of got to You just got to go. Yeah. You, know. you just got to go and kind of just get over it and go. And yeah. I grew up next to Elkhorn. Yeah. Um, well, if you're curious, I know a guy who wrote really good articles about Elkhorn. He could probably <laughs> help you out. <laughs> well, you know, the, this week's uh, Spring Fishing Frenzy that posted Friday was about using our website to find a place to fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, if any of y'all are listening, uh, go to our Facebook page and it's on there. It was posted Friday. And uh, we have tremendous resources now on our website. So you can go and you, you can find lakes. They have five foot contour maps. They have all the habitat work we've done marked. Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can really uh, spend an hour on our website and get much more prepared uh, yeah. before you go. If you know where you want to go, you can really narrow it down. And once that yeah. new fishing app comes out that we're working on, that'll mm -hmm. be really great. I can't wait for that. That's something to get into in the future. 
fishing, hunting, herping herping birds, birds. trees. Yeah, so um, I went to the University of Kentucky and studied animal science, which I was actually on like a pre-vet track, livestock, you know, that whole shebang. And then I got the internship here and started taking NRES and forestry classes on top of my animal science classes because I didn't want to switch my major. So when I was taking the forestry and uh, NRES classes, I took herpetology. Um, I got into birding when I was an intern working with the non-releasable birds of prey back there. Mm -hmm. um, but in college, I took ornithology and herpetology, and that is where I really got to like learn about all the species we have in Kentucky, um, what makes them all different from one another, their ranges, their life histories, and that's really when I got into it. Um, with herpetology, once a week, we'd go somewhere in Kentucky and just look for herps. Uh -huh. That's all we did for lab. Um, and that was the most fun I had in college. That'd be fun. It was, it seriously was, I saw so many species that I don't think that I would have the chance to now. Cause I don't know, mm -hmm. you, sometimes you don't know where to go. The biologists have like the sweet spots, you know? Mm -hmm. yep. So Dr. Price would take us out and um, it was really memorable. And I've been going by myself or with friends ever since then. With ornithology, we did the same thing. Lab was just birding, learning the species around us. Um, and up until that point, I had been birds of prey, birds of prey, birds of prey. It's like, I don't want to know about the songbirds. I don't want to know about the waterfowl. Birds of prey is all I need to know. Yep. And I was so wrong. Um, everything else is so cool too. We got into waterfowl that winter and we were driving around Lexington. We were stopping at residential ponds in neighborhoods in the middle of Lexington and we were seeing 15 species of waterfowl, mm -hmm. different species. Um, and that was so cool and that just got me hooked. So now when it's migration time, I, my binoculars stay with me mm -hmm. all the time. I don't go without them. So I text you and I swear all this is looping around to something here, okay? Okay. I text you over the weekend and I said, if you had one message you'd want to get out there during a podcast, what would it be? And you said, um, get outside and you said, try something new. And then you sent me a message, a text back about how those were too cliche. <laughs> Right. So that's what you said. Get yeah, I did. I new. did. So like, and to, I, I put them in quotation marks in the text. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. It was tough for me to sit there and think of like a message I wanted to get out about my job because well, there's a, there's a lot of things that mm -hmm. I, you know, if I had the time, I could sit here and gab about all day. Um, but especially right now, um, you would be so surprised at what you have not noticed before that you will notice now because you're forced to almost. Mm -hmm. Well, think about it. So this is what I'm getting at. This is what I thought our thing for today could be. You said get outside, you said try something new. I know that your kind of areas of interest or expertise are birding, trees, plants, things like that, herping, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily your hunting and fishing, even though you do hunt and fish. That's not necessarily like your strong point. It's no not offense. my expertise. Yeah. So I, I consider myself to be the hunting and fishing type of guy, right? And I'm kind of doing the opposite. I'm kind of working my way into no, the herping and I'm trying to learn wildflowers right now. I'm trying to get better at trees. Yeah. And uh, to me, it's been really amazing learning all the other things. Because everybody, when they get into the outdoors, or at least people who get into it like me, are thinking white-tailed deer. I'm thinking, where am I going to find the rabbit? Like, you know, just the stuff that you go out there and you're, you're hunting for. Yeah. But when I started learning all the, the plants and the other wildlife and things like that after I'd already learned hunting, everything started to make more sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you kind of get a holistic picture, this big picture thing for what's really going on around you. 
Yeah. You know, you, when you're a deer hunter, you get out there, you say, okay, well, it's half an hour before dark, the deer are probably going to come out to the open. Then you start to ID trees and you start to realize, you know, other things that are going on in the in nature. Different times. And you get a better understanding for why the deer are actually where they're at during this time. And you loop that into fishing, Lee, you know that certain fish spawn and make their runs, you know, it kind of correlates to when certain species of trees or, or wildflowers are blooming, right? Mm -hmm. So you can kind of like get a feel for you. You might be driving through your neighborhood and you see a, a red bud blooming and in your mind something clicks and you're thinking crappie. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. And so a lot of people say the red buds, that's when the white, white bass, bass start to run. White bass, yeah. that's what I was thinking, yeah. That's what I've heard too. So And dogwoods bloom is crappie. Have you ever heard that? Do, yeah, dogwood. Yeah, exactly. So this whole thing of get outside, try something new, you're kind of an expert on these things that most of your people who hunt and fish aren't, right? But it's really interesting to learn these things, and really it makes you a better outdoorsman in general. Yeah. And once you start to understand a little bit about everything instead of just a lot about something, you kind of get this cool big picture for how everything works together, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. In my opinion, and you're, you know more about this than me, if there's a time to get out there and try to learn those things, it's right now. Yes, 100%. Be because you got the trees are, are blooming, so you can see blooms, you Your can flowers. see buds, you can see flowers, and turkey season just went out. So, I mean, what are you going to, frog gigging comes in on the 15th, spring squirrel comes in on the 16th. So, I mean, you've got a lot of time you can be outside right now trying to learn something new. Mm -hmm. It'll make you better in the long run. Yep. So, I was hoping we could have you on and you can kind of walk me, maybe Lee too, through how to start something new. Yeah. How to get out there and learn something. So, just take, my biggest piece of advice is to take it slow and don't overwhelm yourself. Um, we have 32 species of native snakes in Kentucky. Uh, that sounds like a pretty big number. 32? Four are venomous and 28 are non-venomous. Okay, we're gonna have to talk here in a little bit. Why would you? Because I, I didn't know, I wanted an exact number, the 32. I've been doing a lot of herping lately and I've been finding more and more snakes. Yeah. So I wanna know You wanna check are. your list off. Yeah. Yeah, you're a lister. You like to check yeah, things I, off. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. I've got my life list. Yeah, yeah your life list. And, and you can see I got this thing right here. These are all the counties in the state that I've hunted, fished, or. That's cool. So Is like, the blue fishing and the red hunting? No, the blue. I need to, the that's blue, a pretty good idea. Yeah. The blue pins are counties where I've gone hunting or fishing. And you see all the states marked. And then the red ones are places I've gone on shoots for work. So that's all the places that I've... But um, what I was getting at is that I've been going out and finding new snakes and I need a list of the 32 species so I can knock the ones off. And well, if you need a list of the species of snakes in Kentucky, there is a free downloadable PDF of the Kentucky Snake Booklet Book. yep. on our website, fw.ky.gov. Yep. Chase has got a copy of it right I just, there. That's, yeah. I just yeah. remembered it. Yeah, yeah. And, it's and it's it's good for beginners. It does not overload you with information. Mm -hmm. It's a great it, little book. Yes, it is. John McGregor is such a fantastic person. That gives you ranges. So when we're talking about snakes, range maps are important, especially for venomous snakes. Um, we do not have Western cotton mouths all over the state of Kentucky. I mean, everybody thinks every yeah. every water snake. Every cotton mouth. I got yep. run off my cotton yep. mouth through no corn. Yes. It's like, uh, no, you didn't. Every northern water snake. They don't snake exist in this part. It's a cotton mouth, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a northern water snake, probably. Or yeah, northern or midland, a, most yeah, of the time, correct? Something like that, yeah. Northern, for the most part, man. Are they more northern. northerns? Yeah. And, uh, um, but the, the snake book has the ranges, and then it has just little tidbits of information about IDing them, little behavior things to look for when you're seeing these snakes. Um, and that's honestly one of my favorite resources. It's skinny, it's mm -hmm. small to carry around with you. You can throw it in your glove box, pop it out when you see a snake somewhere. Um, 
as long as you know where you're at on the map in Kentucky, you can narrow down which snakes it might be. We have the Kentucky Fishes book too that Matt did, we correct? We do, yep, and that's a really good one too. Mm -hmm. And can I you believe, is it downloadable I as well? I think it is, I think yeah. they both are, yeah. Yeah, um, sorry, I was just flipping through this book looking at all the snakes that I have or haven't found. Yeah, we, um, and I have a couple, there's a couple of snakes on my list. Mud Snake um, is one that is on my list and Kirtland's, those are Kirtland's my, is one that I actually went. In my top have two you seen right a now. copper belly? Water snake? No, the Mississippi green, the copper belly, and then the, uh, there's one more big one. I can't remember which one it so is. So the Kirtland yeah. is, uh, we're bouncing guys. But the, Kirt <laughs> the Kirtland is one that I'm gonna find soon. It actually pulled, it lives in this really small area. Basically, I mean, I'm looking at the range right now and it shows it in four different spots in Kentucky, but if somebody's trying to find a Kirtland snake, they pretty much go to the drainage ditch near the airport in Louisville. Yep. <laughs> really? It's yeah. It's called a Louisville trash snake is its nickname. And pretty much it's the most um, populated population of it, the most dense population of it probably in the world is in Louisville in this one small spot. Like, yes. I mean, I'm talking about like a two mile stretch. It's it's wild. My professor talked about that all the yeah. time in, in class. That was one of the ones, of course, we didn't get to see, um, but I've seen, gosh, I don't know the number. Of well, which you know, I think that part of Jefferson County was called the wet woods back in the day. It's very it's very close to where that new species of crayfish came from. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. Yeah, the, the Kirtland, but so last night, I, I actually, we went to Jefferson Memorial Forest and we went hiking. And then on the way back home, we had to drive right past there. So I, I pulled over on, I think it was Fern Valley Road and found myself yep, a little parking lot to pull into and cr hike down the sketchy, you know, urban hillside <laughs> to this weird creek and uh, I don't know, I just flipped like three tires, but I think that I can find a Kirtland. Yeah, you, uh, if you find one, you gotta let me know immediately. Yeah, that's um, exactly that's a That's a really cool one to find. But yeah, that book is a good place to start. Doesn't overwhelm you with information. Um, the University of Kentucky also has a really great snake identification page. You can click through all the different snakes. Um, I believe you can even submit a photo to see and it'll generate an identification for you. Really? Um, hmm. There's also a Facebook page specifically for identifying Kentucky snakes. Um, and gosh, I was a founding member of it back, I don't know, maybe six, eight months ago, maybe a year ago. And okay. here recently it has exploded um, because people are home and they're noticing snakes more and they kind of want to know what it is. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of them, it's to make sure it's not venomous. You know, I get a picture or two, you, I'm sure you do too. Oh, yeah. A picture or two a week, you yes. probably get more than that, of what kind of snake is this? What kind of, and I- Oh, we get them all the time. I <laughs> bet you the three, the three you get the most are garter snake, yep. water snake, yep. northern water snake, and a, and a rat snake. Rat snake. Is this cotton mouth? Yep. Yeah. No. Uh, and then racer <laughs> is a close fourth. Black <laughs> racers are a close fourth. And then occasionally you'll get somebody that sends you a copperhead and you're like, Yes, that's a, yes, that is a copperhead. Do not play with this yes. one. <laughs> I really hope you use Zoom for that you picture. Know, all um, the years I've waded streams and hiked, and I wonder how many copperheads I've walked by and didn't know. Yes, yeah. And they didn't nail me. I bet I've walked by dozens upon dozens of them. I never used to find, it. the first copperheads I found were hiking the gorge trails at night. And I'd find them in September. And I've talked about this yeah. before because the, mm -hmm. the trails stay warm after the sun goes down because they've been radiating, you know, getting heat all day. So they stay warm and bugs and frogs and all kinds of stuff come out there. And so copperheads come out and you gotta watch your step. I found a lot of them in the gorge and around Cave Run Lake at Mammoth Cave. I was gonna say Mammoth Cave is where I've seen probably the no, most. Otter Creek. Otter Creek, I yeah. found a bunch. Otter Creek. I and mean, they're all over the place. So you look at the copperheads range, it's statewide. But, you know, we found some, some rattlesnakes and 
the most recent snake, I'm talking about Kristen here, my girlfriend, she uh, she found a... The prairie king snake? Well, I found the prairie king. Did you find that? Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> we found three in a week in different places. Yeah. But uh, she found her uh, hog nose two days ago. I did see that. I was so she happy. She found a... Because I mean, the reason I'm getting more into herping is because she obviously likes to do this, right? And, um, you know, we had a lot of uh, hog nose around Bardstown where I grew up. Well, that's close to where we went and found them. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, from the crow flies, I was like three, four miles from Bernheim. Well, the southern part we called Knob State Forest, which Bernheim now has. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was a very snake-laden area. Well, they like different kind of terrain. They like sandy, like mm -hmm. woods. Yeah. And this... Um, yeah, that's what... She was driving, she was going to actually actually on her way to try to find a hog nose, and she, the car in front of her hit one. And she pulled Ooh. over and she found a dead one, and then she found one less than a mile away up hiking. But, um, you know, one of the things, I don't mean to jump in, but with COVID and so much less human activity, it's really uh, made the animals much more uh, brazen. And uh, they, the, the, so if you want to look, Right now is the time to look because yeah. animals are normally hiding or starting to come out. Well, the thing about, okay, we've, I didn't know where we were going to go. We've been talking about snakes, right? Mm -hmm. And then I was sitting here as we were talking about, you know, well, we were looking for one and you want this area. It's kind of like hunting. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? All you do is look at the snakes. You can hold them. You can take pictures. But I mean, they have different habitats they like. They're in different parts of the state, different times of the year. Different diets. Yeah. It all is. Hog nose, you want to look for toads. Yep. If you're trying mm -hmm. to find a hog nose, you want to find sandy areas where you might have toads. And, well, and we had a ton of toads. Yeah. You, know, you don't snakes. see the toads like you used to when I was growing up. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I haven't seen a single toad yet. Well, I mean, like I mean, hopping around anywhere. I mean, I had them pee on me left and right growing yeah. up. We'd grab them all the time, pee on you. You don't have either, do you? No, I know. I never got... Yeah, <laughs> I that's, just, that's all that. It's hard to split your time between looking up for birds and mm -hmm. looking down for herps. Um, I get birding neck sometimes if I stare up into a tree looking for a warbler for too long. Never been an issue for me. Oh, yeah. Maybe someday, but I'll, yeah. I'll, look, I'll look down Hold at the Hold those binoculars up for long periods of time mm -hmm. with your then neck. Then you have to... Bent all the way back. You got to shake it all out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The blood runs out of your arms? Yep. That's funny. <laughs> well, that's that's my relaxation of an evening is if I'm grilling out, light the grill, got my feeders over here, and I've got trees all around me, have my binoculars and bird book, and yeah. just look. Well, I was just thinking, you know, it really is kind of like hunting. Like you were talking about, you just said uh, green snake. Yeah. You, know, you want to look yeah. uh, in, in tr trees and bushes near water. Look yeah. at them, look for them at night. Near roads, yeah. anything like that. Yeah, they, those are... Phew. Yeah, there's a technique and a way to try to yep. find each one of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it really is kind of like hunting when you find one, you feel some accomplishment. It's probably the same for almost all species. Like, I'm not into the birding, but I'm sure that you go certain places to look for certain birds, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Certain times of the year, maybe a certain hatch is happening and they're in there. Yeah, there are definitely certain places you look for certain, especially the the owls that come in over the winter time, mm -hmm. the different owl species. There are yeah. certain places that they stop, uh, St. Hill Cranes, there are certain places that they used to stop all the time, um, and you could go and get pretty much be guaranteed to see one. Sand hills, yeah. Yeah. So we talked a little bit, we just used snakes as, as an example. Somebody wanted to try to get into that and try to understand more about snakes this summer, you know? That's an opportunity for them, and you listed off a bunch of different places they mm -hmm. could go and yeah. identify them and learn more mm -hmm. about them. Like this book right here, I'm literally, it's just a little pamphlet that we have for mm -hmm. free this is the Kentucky Snakes one that you talked about downloading earlier mm -hmm. off yeah. the department's website. And it gives you a lot of information in here about, you know, pretty much all you need to know to start looking for one. Yeah. Gives you the range. It tells you a little bit about their diet. And, and I like that for some of the uh, more common species, he includes juvenile snake yes. pictures in there. And that's really important, too, especially right now. I'm, I am getting weekly pictures of juvenile black rat snakes. Just 
constantly. Right. What is this? What is this? And then it's it's a rat snake for the most part. I think I've gotten one black racer juvenile. Um, but those pictures are in, I know the rat snake is for sure in there in the copperhead, but I'm not sure about the other ones. In here? Yeah, the juvenile yeah. pictures. So that's important too. On You know, I think the fear in us says that every snake is a copperhead or a cottonmouth. Mm -hmm. um, but they it's so, it's once you learn your identifiers and your behavior um, and your ranges, it's, it's very easy to rule out mm -hmm. the venomous snakes. It, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I mean, I, people probably listen to this podcast from all over the state, mm -hmm. like here in Frankfurt and Shelby County and even in Louisville. I mean, there's really not a big threat of any kind of venomous snake. I mean, a copperhead, but yeah. copperheads really aren't, I don't, I don't feel like I should say they aren't ven like deadly or anything. But, you know, unless you have you an allergy. You pretty much have to step on one to get well, in Well, not just that, but even if you get bit by one, I mean, unless you have an allergy to it. Because the people who, the way I understand it, people who have a bad reaction to a copperhead bite and it actually causes them real problems are people who have a, an allergy. And if they had an EpiPen, they would have been fine, but it's the allergy to the copperhead venom that, that gets them. I talked to some of these guys who rabbit hunt out, out in the eastern part of the state. state. I'm mixing my words up. And they, their beagles get bit by a copperhead, you know? Mm -hmm. They're out there in the mountains chasing rabbits through brush. And they said as long as it's not on the face or the neck, the dog will be just fine. Like, I mean, it'll swell up, but it'll be just fine. Rattlesnake's a little bit different animal. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. want to mess with that. We had a lot of timber rattlers in Nelson County. Yeah. Around the ponds I used well, to Well, that's fish. where the department originally released them, right? I the, think so. The helicopters just took off. Yes. <laughs> oh, you beat me to it. Dang. Yeah. Well, uh, that's actually an illustration in this book is why I just thought about yep. it. Rick did that in the magazine. Yep. Just for uh, for the record, we did when, not, the department did not release When I was, uh, <laughs> I took a guy from National Geographic. He was a photographer and yeah. I kind of escorted him to a elk hunt and he ended up running a wonderful picture in National Geographic of, That's a, really cool. of, a, of, um, of the wife of a conservation officer in Indiana who uh, who took one and I said you know people think that we dropped rattlesnakes from helicopters to control the turkey population and he thought for an hour Please don't sit there and BS me. I mean, Lee, that's not very funny. I said, go over there and ask them. Ask so finally, them. he got the he got the gumption to go ask them. He came back, his eyes were as big around as saucers. He goes, they actually believe that. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's been a persistent rumor for years and years. Yeah, it's, I was uh, filling up hmm. gas one time, and I believe I had on my uniform, which is why this gentleman approached me. And uh, it was asking me like what I was going to do. And I, I can't even remember what I was doing that day, but I, I told him, I was like, oh, I'm working doing this. And uh, I mean, he just started in on the, well, did you know that the people you work for dropped rattlesnakes in by <laughs> helicopter? And at the time I hadn't heard that. And I was like, Sir, I'm I'm really sorry, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And he was like, "You're just covering it up." I was like, "Okay, I'm sorry." I've had people get adamant with me. I've seen the crates in the woods that had your logo on them. I was like, "Ooh, I'm what have you been sampling there, brother?" Because <laughs> that never happened. No, man. When we, were, when we were recording our last podcast, we were walking around the lake, right? Oh, that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah, we were just walking around the <laughs> lake, about that guy. and this guy. This guy was fishing, and we just kind of asked him if he had any luck. And I didn't include this in the podcast. I, mean, yeah, I didn't. I'm, I'm glad. Um, I cut this one little part out. But, you know, you can see all these fish in the pond down there, right? Mm -hmm. And he couldn't catch one, this guy. And he was, like, fishing wildlife. They came, because we weren't wearing our department. We just looked like anybody. And he was, like, fish and wildlife comes up here, and they, they feed these fish every night, so you can't <laughs> catch them. And me and Lee kind of looked at each other. <laughs> It's like, this isn't a bay lake. <laughs> yeah. He was accusing them of fish and wildlife of 
literally feeding. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. oh. He said, yeah. that, he said that, that we come up here and we feed them every night. They've been so doing it for you. I've been up here 40 years and they've done it just as long as I remember. It's yeah, like, that's what he said. And uh, me and Lee just kind of walked on past. Yeah, it's like, okay, man. Yeah, we'll but so that. the people up here think they can't catch fish because we're up here feeding them every night. That's <laughs> just not the case. We didn't catch a fish yeah. that day either. Yeah. So, well, people but, people have their uh, their you know their thoughts. Yeah. Earlier, Rachel, you said that if you to start slow and not overwhelm yourself, right? Yeah. Yes. So like, don't try to learn. All 30, don't try to memorize all 32 at once. No, well, I think snakes are easier than other stuff. My, snakes are way easier than birds. When I was trying to learn trees originally, my buddy Bobby, who's been on the podcast, he's a tree guy, or he knows, he's kind of like you as far as outdoors go. Um, he told me, just learn one a day. He said, man, yeah. he said, just learn one tree a day. He said, go out there and, you know, look at a tree, learn how to ID it, and just learn that one each day. Because yep. if you try to learn five trees a day, it's tough. And, it is. Um, um, but you can learn one a day. And you, that's the same for flowers or snakes or I birds. I started writing birds. everyone around my house, trees yeah. around my house, and Just I tried to identify Figure out them. what is oh. by you. When mm -hmm. we, we're stuck in our homes, we're stuck in our neighborhoods, uh, our cul-de-sacs, however you want to look at it, learn what's around you and then build out from there. If you're a resident of central Kentucky, don't start learning what's in the western tip mm -hmm. yet. You yeah. can get to that. But just start out with what's near you, what you're probably likely going to see. And with birds, the one a day thing is is great. Um, and that's pretty much what we did in college. One a day is right yeah. on. Yeah. Think about this. One a day. So 365 days in a year. Think about your average person, right? Um, if the average person just learned one new species, like the species name and how to ID it per day, how long do you think they'd have to do that for before they knew more than they did before they started? You knew that much more, like doubled their knowledge, like a couple months. Maybe. I was going to say a month. <laughs> yeah, because oh, genuinely, I was going to say a month. I'd say your average person can get months? can get over thirty species because everybody knows cardinal, robin, blue, blue jay, blue jay. I know a fox squirrel. I know a gray squirrel. You know, white-tailed deer, turkey. Everybody can do like the basic mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah. let's say your average person just for you know the heck of it, fifty species. You're talking about less than two months, and you've already doubled what you can do. Yeah. So I mean, it doesn't take that long to to become much more knowledgeable if you try. No. So I think people yeah. should do it. And I mean, on my scale of interesting right now, I like my, you know, my, all my animals and stuff. And then I'm uh, reptiles and then I'm kind of working my way into- Salamanders? Well, no, salamanders are an animal. I'm talking about going oh, from animals. Like I going like- Going from animals, I'm I sorry. Like, I, I like anything that has a, anything that's alive, like moving and like, I like that a lot. And then I'm kind of moving into trees because I think trees are, are interesting. They're all over the place and they're important, you know? And then I'm kind of going into wildflowers from there. Wildflowers I did, I did the opposite. on my scale are like the least interesting. For See, me. I did. I'm flipping it. I did. I'm learning wildflowers now, and trees are kind of a thing where I lack the most, besides mushrooms, fungus. No, I don't know mushrooms. I struggle hardcore with that. Um, okay, but, well, let's take mushrooms for example. So a lot of people want to find morels, right? Mm -hmm. Well, to find morels, I mean, I've heard elm trees are a good tree to look around. That's that's what I've read online. So knowing how to ID an elm tree, it's a whole lot easier to see an elm tree in the woods than it is to see a morel. So if you can ID an elm tree, then you might be able to narrow down where some I think Rick's are. been looking for some, but I don't think he's had as much That's, luck this year. You know, the weather was so messed up this year. Like the white bass run. Yeah. When, when was it good this year? Well, that one day, and yeah, then exactly. people, <laughs> we killed them that, that one day. day yeah. Then the day before, people said it was terrible, and then I talked to people who fished the next day and got skunked. Yeah. We just hit it on that one perfect day. That's what I'm saying. The white bass run this year kind of came and went in small flows. You know, mm -hmm. you could go for three or four mm -hmm. days at a time and 
catch fish, but it was never fully on. It's because the weather this year was so up and down. It still is, 46 degrees outside. Oh, I know. And uh, I was looking, um, before we come on, I, I was I always like to look and see what the creek's doing. And, you know, it's the, the fish have been on the bed, but I think they should be coming off of it. But last May 5th, last Tuesday, the water temperature during the day was almost 67. Now, in the last three days, the water temperature during the highest has been 60 and it's been getting down into the low 50s again. So those fish will come on, now they're being pushed off, they're coming on, and yeah. so it's it's been really spotty fishing so yeah. far this well, spring, but well, we haven't had a stable weather pattern. What we need is consistency. Um, and you know, the thing is 46 degrees right now, and it's gonna be 80 for 10 days straight, starting yeah. in three or four days. Yeah, shorts. I'll tell you, fishing, <laughs> fishing wisely, I'll tell you something that I'm getting ready to hammer, and that is the Ohio River. I'm gonna start catching those hybrids. It's about time. How's the river look? Oh, last time I went, it was way up. Yeah. It's way up. But I've been watching the gauges, and it's, you know, I'm looking at, today it's probably fishable. And in two days, it's going to be really nice. And just to let people know, if you want to fish the Ohio on the Indiana side, if you're standing on the Indiana bank fishing the main stem of the Ohio, you can do that with a valid Kentucky fishing license. Yep. But you cannot fish a trib. You cannot fish an embayment. But if you, pardon? What about Ohio? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Along the river, everybody has a reset program. Okay. Yeah. It, everybody has it mm -hmm. for us. And what do we own the river all the way through, or is there a state See, since we river? were one of the first, our state line is way far over. Yeah. It doesn't run down the middle in a lot of places. Uh, it ran to the opposite bank because Kentucky was, of all those, one of the first that yeah. was inhabited. It goes so. in the order of who settled first or mm -hmm. who had their state first. So Kentucky was a state before. Let's just say, for example, Indiana. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we on the river, and right. um, that's kind of how it works. And but you know, residual waters we all share agreements. So this right here is, I'm sorry, is for visual visual stuff doesn't work well with podcasts, but this mm -hmm. is McAlpin Upper right now. Hmm. And as you can see, it was way up, and now it's kind of gone down to steady pool. So I'm thinking that it could be fishable. The downstream gauge is still pretty high, but you know, you kind of got to. I'm not an expert on reading That's these good. I, I use the USGS. I like that. That's NOAA. Yeah. I'll have to go there. Yeah, this is what I like to use for the Ohio River. Yeah. But for streams, I like USGS. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that was probably a terrible 30 seconds of podcast because it's big. But um, still, but go to the NOAA and, and uh, yeah. I you can look up the, the Ohio River gauge. Well, yeah, so the hybrids and stripes should be making the run up right now. I talked to a guy down there who's a better fisherman than me, and he was telling me that from now through June, it'll be hot. And I was looking at my pictures from last year, and most of them were, you know, this time of year through June. So, um, something to get out there and do if you want to fish. Mm -hmm. I you, love hybrids. You can take your binoculars with you, and or you can flip some rocks and find some snakes. And I mean, I've caught smallmouth there. I've caught sauger. I've caught little hybrids. I've caught white bass. I mean, there's everything right below McAlpin Lock and Dam. If you go over to the uh, the interpretive, the Ohio Falls Interpretive Park, which is in Indiana, you can access it there and wait all you want to with a Kentucky license. Have you fished yet this year, Rachel? Falls, the Ohio Interpretive. No. Well, so no, I went I fishing. So. I went fishing somewhere on what day is it? Saturday that you would have loved, and so we mm. went to um, Bark Camp Creek. Bark Camp Creek is where we went, and it's more of a hike than a fishing trip. We took fishing poles oh. along and we caught trout. I mean, we walked all the way down to the Cumberland. I mean, we could have caught oh, a striper. I, I did see those yeah. pictures. Yeah, mm -hmm. cool. And okay. So that was a fishing trip. Where'd we you see fishing. the black racer? Was that Mammoth Cave? Probably. Yes. I think flew. We saw, saw a bunch of them. He's got oh, a cool yeah, video. video. I was like, yeah. dang, they are fast. Yeah. yeah, they are fast, man. But um, so we were basically hiking with our fishing poles, and we saw because you like the wildflowers. This made me think of it. 
we saw pink lady slippers which was apparently one that was a big deal and really um cool. we got jack in a pulpit jack in the pulpit yeah was good and there's a bunch of flowers like that i mean I'm trying to find things like that but so we saw all these cool wildflowers and i was catching trout and then i'm sure we could have flipped some snakes you know what i mean mm -hmm. so you can you can combine all these activities into, into one thing one, into one trip yeah, yeah. Um, we've been going to Veterans Park in mm. Lexington, um, and I don't mm. see people fish there much. Did we stock trout again there? We did for a few years. I don't I'm know. Sure. I don't know. You can, you know, with your sunglasses on, you can see into the water. It is not deep at all. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see fish. Um, there were turtles everywhere, but I, you know, I was going to see if I could find some queen snakes. Um, but it got so chilly. That's, that's Hickman Creek, the upper reaches of Hickman Creek, correct? One of the forks of Hickman. I you think. would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's. <laughs> well, I floated. <laughs> I, I floated know. Hickman from Camp Nelson back in the day. There was some. I had some access. Camp Nelson, and then in a float tube. I'm doing a float tube piece. I got my float tube out over the weekends. Like I haven't been this thing in 20 years. And we floated in a float tube all the way down Hickman Creek, and then kicked across the Kentucky River and took out uh, right up. 27, U.S. 27 there where it goes across. Oh, yeah. Uh, into Jasmine County. Yeah, and cool. I know exactly so, what you're talking about. But the current, you know, the river, it's like there's no current in the river. When you're kicking, we're like, do 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 <laughs> We ended up like uh, several hundred yards downstream of the wow. boat ramp and had to kick all the way back up. Well, we retired that day. Man, yeah, that's a... But Lower dream. Hickman Creek is cool. It yeah. is beautiful. I went to uh, Cabela's the other day just to get a, a scale. I think I bought a scale. And they had a... Uh, one of those float, what, what's the thing? It's like a chair you sit in with a mm -hmm. pontoons on either side. I had one. I gave mine to Zach Campbell. <laughs> Man, this thing looks I, I have another one. I have a frameless cool. one, too. Yeah. This thing looked nice. And they're, was, they're great. It was on sale for 250 and I was looking at the material. I was like, that thing seems like a really good deal. It was originally like 400 bucks, And I was thinking if I could just find an application for that. But I, I couldn't think when I would use that. Well, since you have the Hobie, yeah. it would kind of make that option. Well, my feet would be dragging the bottom of most creeks, too. <laughs> well, that, that actually, that's what I used it for. And that, I love that because you had a lot more control. It took all that. You don't have to screw with the oar yeah. or the paddle. Yeah. You know, you use, would just come to a point, stick your foot down, and God, you could pound a spot, yeah, let up, powerful put them back on going, the footrest. Yeah. There's two footrests, and on down you go. I loved it. Yeah. I need to, I, I, I want to get outside. I'm like itching to almost go fishing today. But I don't know. Well, at this cold front, it, you know, you might not be able to shove a minute in their mouth with a shoe yeah, horn it's today. it's chilly today. Mm. But like you said, 80 degrees is coming. But the pontoon boats are fun. Um, but they're great on a river, but you can't make much speed. Now that you have the Hobie and everything, you know, it'd be kind of. I need to get my pedal drift fixed. So, Rachel, right now, mm -hmm. what, if you were trying to give advice to somebody on getting into something new outdoors, now, let's say aside from hunting or fishing, what would it be? How would you do it? If you just say, if somebody wanted to get into birding, what's step one? Buy a field guide. Mm -hmm. Buy a field guide? Yep, buy a field guide for Which the eastern U.S. Do you like Sibley's best or do you like Peterson or I'm a Peterson National gal. Well, I've, I've got Peterson at home and I have Sibley here. I use them. So it's funny. Um, I tell this story all the time when I talk about buying field guides. Um, and the Audubon ones are really good. Audubon's too. good too. National Geographic is good. When you're buying a field guide, you need to know if you would like to look at drawings or photos. Mm -hmm. That's important. Um, I like drawings better than photos. Yeah. And then you have to make sure you're buying the Eastern U.S. field guide. Yeah. Um, I made that mistake. I have a Western Sibley's because I bought it on accident, wanting to get a Sibley's and a Peterson to compare them, and I ended up with the Western Sibley's, which I do bird out west now, so it has gotten use. But mm -hmm. make sure you get an Eastern U.S. field guide. I prefer Peterson. 
you said you like which ones? I, I actually, I'm, I'm leaning toward Peterson. I keep that one at home. And I have Sibley's here at work that I refer yeah. to. But Sibley's has things that Peter, I mean, they both yes, kind of they, overlap one another. Yep. Yeah. I like, but I for the like, beginner, I think Peterson is easier. Yes. And that, I'm speaking from a, a beginner standpoint, that was my first one. And I felt like it was perfect for me. Um, it had exactly what I needed and nothing more. Sibley's now, though, I can't decide if I like that one better now that I know more. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I'm the same way. Once you get, once you learn your basics and you go your one a days and you learn all your backyard birds and then you feel like you're getting confident enough to learn your sparrows and then you get to your warblers, you know, uh, non-breeding plumage comes into play sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the Sibley's does a really good job. I do too. Is all the different colorations of plumage. But if I'm going to a new place, like I go to Florida, I bring Peterson's because yeah. all the goals and everything, he explains <laughs> oh, it really gosh, good. Yeah. They're, uh, they're hard. I, goals, <laughs> goals and flycatchers uh, for me are the two kind I've of. I've seen one Acadian flycatcher. I've seen that, one Acadian flycatcher. I was a camping that I think out. I was an Acadian. Yeah, I was camping out on the Cumberland River at Rainbow Run. Back in the day, you could pay, I think it was $14 a night and, and primitive camp there at at, at, uh, at the Rock House Bottom there. And the, the um, and Rainbow Run's right downstream, rather. Um, and I saw one right before dark. I was like, I've never seen a bird like that. And I looked at everything and the only one that matched it was the Acadian. It was the Acadian. Yeah, there's a couple of great crested's that hang out in this tree right behind Salado every year. I haven't seen, I haven't heard them yet, but they're usually back there. Um, but yeah, goals and flycatchers, I just, um, once you learn what they look like, then you gotta learn what they sound like. And mm-hmm. that's where a lot of That's people, where I'm, I'm yeah. really bad. Yeah, I, I almost- Sloan is great, Tim Sloan. Yeah, Tim Sloan's great. fantastic, yeah. He, uh, I'll never forget, I was a seasonal and it was the sampler. It was my first year as a seasonal, seasonal working at the sampler. And Tim Sloan was working the food line. And uh, he walked up to me and he was like, oh, do you like birds? And I said, yeah. And he said, serious, so serious, looked at me and said, what's the scientific name of an American kestrel? <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know. I, I knew he was our director, but I did not know him any more than that. He was the director at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was the director yes. of Ryan e at that point. And I was, tri- I was I trembling. So. I was like, uh, Falco Sparvarius. And he was like, good job, and just walked away. And that was the end of that. <laughs> when I was new at Fish and Wildlife, one day I had my, my uniform shirt on, and I had jeans. It was on a Friday. He goes, Jeans uniform shirt will never go out here at Fish and Wildlife. I was like, God, who is this Tim Sloan guy? <laughs> and I was, telling, I was telling Rick, I was like, God, he's like, he's just, uh, he's just busted on you. Yeah, yeah. I was, saw him like a year later with the exact same thing on. Yeah, and I think, I think that day I was like, who was that? Like, was that our director? And everybody was like, Yeah, he was just messing with you. Like, he's, he's just seeing how, like, what you're like, and it has never left me. That is my first memory That's I have funny. of him. <laughs> yeah. His first um, thing, I was like, oh, he didn't do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> so no, he serious. was he was head of non-game when he did that to me with the blue yeah. jeans. Really? Yeah, it's long before yeah. he became our director. Hey, that is funny. Yeah. Tim, you're a good guy. If you're listening, you know, yeah, I'm just if you're listening, you, Tim. Hey, but you know, paybacks are hell. You know, you, you, <laughs> you busted actually, our chops. You terrified 21 year old me. Almost mentioned Tim earlier because on that cover of that uh, Kentucky Snakes guide, uh, Tim Sloan is the one who put it together. Yep. That's oh, that's cool. Is, is, that the, that. is that the Rick's cartoon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he had it flipped to that page earlier. Yeah, uh, yeah and it's on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rick's got the cover artwork, too, of course. 
So Rachel, you just kind of said if you were trying to get into birding, yeah, well, that's sorry. how you'd start. You yeah. buy a field guide for your buy a field area. guide for your for your area. You know, if you're listening to this and you live in Colorado, then please buy a Western field yeah. guide. But so start, other than that, start off somewhere probably easy, right? Like backyard. find one, yeah, backyard birding. Backyard. Uh, I did a fantastic education session on that. If I do say so myself, <laughs> find it on YouTube. But um, learn your the things that you're going to see in your backyard, yep. and then from there. You know, if it's springtime, maybe learn some of your spring migrators. If it's winter time and you're just starting, learn some waterfowl or some overwintering birds that yeah. are here. Well, I'd say right now a good time to do because we're talking about right now, spring, yep. right summer. now. I would start with the backyard, start close, start small, and get your interest. Work your in way it. up. Yep. And so let's say somebody wants to get into trees. That's easy. I mean, well, it's not easy. But the trees aren't going to run from your flyway. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah, that's that's another good point. Um, flowers and trees are stationary, you guys. Like you don't have to chase them around to try to find them and ID them. I will say I think trees are easier than flowers because flowers are very seasonal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Flowers come and go. They're Real, there one day and gone the next. A tree, you can pretty much walk out there and it's always going to be there. But I mean, start with trees. I mean, it's the bark, the uh, leaves, um, the buds and what they drop from them are basically mm -hmm. what you're looking at there, right? And there's some pretty specific stuff, but I mean, trees are easy because you can look up the pictures and you can get field guides. Flowers, I think the easiest way to get into it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is probably a mobile app. I feel like a lot of people are using the, the apps to ID them. Yeah, and I was gonna actually say that about birding too. There's there's that Cornell you can Cornell, download with the songs. Yes, that you can play them over your phone. Merlin Bird ID, and it's made <clears> by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and that is where I play every single song. Um, if I hear something in the woods that I'm not sure what it is, I pull out that phone. And usually when you get good enough, you can narrow it down by family of what mm -hmm. you're listening to. And then you just play the different songs until something matches. Um, so that one's really cool. And they also have an idea. Have you played with the identifier feature? Yes. On the app? We were on Kentucky Lake bass fishing and my buddy Boggs was like, hey man, we were hearing a bird and he's like, watch this. And he downloaded the app yeah. and he's like, and then we're trying to figure out from song what it was. What it was. And uh, like, that's a really fun game. Like for me to play by myself, like God, I equate it to video games almost for me. Um, like you get to check off different lists. You're completing mm -hmm. different tasks along the way. Yeah. You know, you get a big one. It's like you've defeated that boss in that game or something. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's uh, definitely a good app to download. You can look at a bird and then do an identifier test on there and it'll ask you the date that you saw it, where you saw it, how big it was, the colors, was it flying, sitting, soaring, different mm -hmm. behaviors, and then it will narrow, it will give you a list of birds that it could possibly be. Hmm. That's what, what we did. Yep. Like, you know, that's something cool, but I don't know if I could ever see, ever, I don't know, birds I'm not that good about, right? But like snakes, I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, it would be cool to find every snake in the state mm -hmm. to see one. It's doable. But why yep. would it be cool? That's what I'm thinking to myself, like, It'd be cool to me. Tremendous like, sense yeah, of accomplishment. You guys understand it. Is, it. Yeah. Wonder, wonder how other people who aren't into it feel about that. Like when they say me, if, if somebody heard me say, just a random person in the crowd, they only needed to find five more snakes before I've seen every snake in Kentucky. Would they think that that's interesting or would they think that I'm crazy? Hey, there are some people that collect plates. Yeah. I don't understand why they do it, but if it brings them joy, then yeah. my grandmother right collect she collected bells. Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, some, see. Some, people, some people literally go out like some people's hobby hobby is shopping 
some people's mm. hobbies just going to the bar. <laughs> some, some people like yeah. to fish and stuff, and you know, different people get enjoyment. Well, out I think things, birding but. is better than shopping or going to a bar. Hey, I can't afford to shop. I was going to say you're at least not spending money when you're yeah. looking at birds. Mm -hmm. hey, I, hunting can be very expensive. So. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. Fishing can too, especially fly fishing. God, that's a oh, vacuum. My. That's a money vacuum yeah. that many things ever happen. Yeah. I've um, never come across. Like, oh, I need these. Oh, I need that. Oh, I need this. Oh, well, I need a three weight. I need a, you know. Yeah. Speaking of fishing being expensive, uh, it's an, oh, Chad's taking a week long trip up to Canada to do a smallmouth fishing or Wisconsin. I think he's going somewhere like that. He I told me about this. Figured you'd be jealous. Yes, but he told me about it. I was mad when he told me. <laughs> <laughs> Is he going to Lake St. Clair? I, I, I can't remember where he's going, but. I know they're. He's just driving. They got another guy's boat. They're taking and stuff like that. So it should be a fun trip. I'm kind of jealous. Let's see. I'll, let's run um, through this. What about binoculars? Oh yeah. Um. So Audubon on their website, they have a whole section dedicated to choosing your first pair of binoculars, mm -hmm. and they actually break it down by cost if you're looking for something cheap. Mm -hmm. By uh, I think they may even do it by size. Like if you're looking for something small or big. Mm -hmm. Um, I have Nikon, mm -hmm. and they do the job. Now, let me ask you this, because you're talking about it from a birder's perspective. I'm going to talk about it from a hunting perspective, because a lot of people who listen to this already own a pair of binoculars. Yeah. So I want to know what specs of binoculars mm -hmm. would be ideal for birding. You looking for an 8x, a 10x, 12x? You well, want... you know, I did a piece several years ago with Gary Sprandle, and we talked, and, and uh, Kate, mm -hmm. and um, and we talked about what their favorite ones. He. Gary does not want zoom at all. He'd rather have a wide angle. Hmm. Um, you don't want the kind that can zoom in. That's says, what I've got. I've got the wide angle. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he likes, you know, um, 10 by 42s. That's what mine are. Mine are yeah. 10 by 42 Nikon Pro Stuff 7s. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's Nikon. I mean, that's like a, a good all-around hunting binocular for me. Well, the, the you know, the little ones you get that are cheap, um, the thing is, is that the bigger that aperture, the more light gathering ability. I used to really be into astronomy and telescopes. Oh, so cool. uh, the more the more aperture you have, the more light gathering ability you have, the clearer the image you're going to have. Yeah. And so the little bitty ones, like I carry a little monocle when I'm dove hunting, but that's just to look and see, are those doves coming in? I mean, they're not for quality because they're so little that, that there's not a much uh, light they can get through. But that bigger aperture makes a big difference. And you know, some of it's quality of glass too. Yeah. But yeah. I, those are... The, yeah. the ones you're talking about that you've got? No, mine are different. But These um, are the ones I've got. Those mine are, yeah. are the... Yours are more well. of a... So well, those are nice. Yeah. So that's the kind of a difference in a birding binocular and a hunting binocular to me is um, like my binoculars are very small, very streamlined and like in... Yeah. Like they don't expand. Expand, the, yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that that would be the difference. Is yours has a bigger aperture, like Lee was talking about, mm -hmm. but it's also bulkier. So mm -hmm. if you're hunting, climbing a deer stand, throwing it in a backpack, it's, it's more. Yeah, it's harder. Uh, mine are definitely heavier, but also, you know, I always spring for comfortability. If I'm going to be wearing them for six hours mm -hmm. or having them in my hands, whatever, I want them to feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the smaller ones, I just I don't no, think they're as comfortable as I've the got ones some got. Um, Alpen. That I bought some, and you know, for the money, they're really good. They're, that's a good brand. Um, you know, and Laura the, the, Burford has a pair of Swarovskis. Oh yeah, oh, gosh, oh man, we did Eagle tours together this past winter, and I was so jealous of her binoculars the whole time. Listen, real quick off topic, did I tell you about the guy's rangefinder that we went um, elk hunting with this past year? Was it a Swarovski too? It was a Swarovski. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've looked through. You know those little spotty scopes you put on your window. Yeah. Uh, one of the commissioners one time said, "Come here, Lee. Look at that." 
God. I was like, wow, no wonder, no wonder these are 800 bucks. Well, well so this, this guy, though, the, his, his range finder, we were all standing up there, and uh, Chad asked him if he had a range finder, and he said, yeah. He was looking at something with his binoculars, and Chad asked him, will you range that tree out there? And he said, uh, 384 yards. And I was looking at him, he's just looking through his binoculars. And he had a Swavorsky pair of binoculars with a built-in range finder. Range finder, yeah. Wow. I was like, my gosh. Wow. That, dude, that dude had some, yeah. <laughs> he had rich fancy. parents or yeah, something? He or, yeah, he, he's, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> those set him back. He had done well. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah. So, so we've talked a little bit about wildflowers and birds and trees. I think snakes are something a lot of people are interested in. Snakes or amphibians in general. And I feel a little bit more nervous trying to tell somebody how to get into, because I almost want to tell them just to go flip whatever board they have back behind their house or go flip some rocks by a creek. Yeah. Then we come into liability when somebody actually does flip well. that, that copperhead. But so do we tell them to, you know, if next snake you see, try to ID it, try to learn it. And if it's non-venomous, maybe try to realize that and get closer to it and pick we, it up. Or... Yeah, ID from a distance at first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, especially if you're not confident. Like, don't uh, put yourself in a situation that you will soon regret but yeah you know we always practice caution with telling people to mm. flip things because you know when we were in college my professor was like we put things back we are looking for species and we are flipping rocks that are habitat for some yeah, things put it back down. but we absolutely have to put it back down exactly where we found it and that's what i try to tell people is that's so important like don't just pick up a rock and then fling it when you're done with it because nothing was underneath it um we just have to be careful about did I ever tell mm -hmm. you about destroying oh. all those things at the parklands? What are those things called where people stack rocks and they think the it's The cairns or it's C-A-I-R-N. I mean, yeah. I've seen them on it. the creek all the yep, time. I've seen everywhere. them in Arkansas. My buddy Smitty, whenever he sees them, he thinks they're kind of like druid or something. Yeah, he yeah. knocks them over. Yeah, knock them over. <laughs> well, we were out at the Floyd's Fork one time and we were, I think, creek fishing. We were just walking down the creek and we start seeing all these big piles of rocks. Somebody yep. stacked rocks being real cool. And of course, me and Kristen are both like, I mean, who does this? Like, oh, that's habitat. You know, there's eggs and there's things like that yep. attached to the bottom side of rocks. Yeah. Rocks are important to the creek. Don't stack them. Yep. And so we were like, just kind of shaking our heads and and uh, we started kicking them all over, all the piles of rocks and just put them back in the creek. And all of a sudden these guys start cussing us from up on the oh, bank. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that was there. It was there. Apparently they were up, they had just built them all and they were up there in their hammocks, just hanging out on the side of the creek. Admiring and, their work. What do, what's the significance of those things? I think it's, Oh, I, there can't be one. Uh, maybe back in the day they were used as markers, but all these people are just going out there to the creek and stacking rocks to, to for the heck of it. It's not like they're even cool. They're just a pile of rocks. You know? I've, I've kicked uh, dozens of them over. I'm trying to find the... There's like know. historical significance. Well, these guys got all mad. It was, it's uh, like Rachel, remember she told us that there were people out there looking for Bigfoot at Taylorsville yeah. WMA? Croom? Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah. I told yeah. you I met the yep. world champion, didn't I? No, at Taylorsville? No, at Otter Creek. I was out of Otter Creek and uh, this guy. You may have told me this already. But... Well, he pulled up and he starts asking us because we had trail or trail run going on. There were people out there running. He's asking us which trail the people are on. And I've noticed his hat. It's a Bigfoot hunter's <laughs> hat, right? And so I asked him when he was getting ready to walk away. I was like, I just got to ask, are you out here looking for Bigfoot? And he said, yeah. He said he was the three-time world champion Bigfoot hunter. Oh wow! Wow! And, and I, what a title! I asked him. I said, "Have you ever, have you ever found him?" He, he had not. So how he was? The how how is he the champion? Yeah, I was so confused. It's so fun. I was listening to his podcast the other day, and uh, it was about cryptids or cryptozoology yeah. or you know, mythical creatures, whatever. And they were discussing Mothman, 
and his glowing red eyes and his huge wingspan and all this stuff. And <laughs> one of the people were like, yeah, there's this, you know, there's this report from a long time ago about this guy who was, I guess he was a biologist maybe or a local up in the Northeast. And he said, uh, there's this bird that's big and it's got a red spot on the top of its head and it makes a lot of crazy noises. And they think that Mothman probably originated from a sandhill crane. <laughs> oh, the sandhill crane? Yep. Oh, they do yep. make some noises. They yeah. make those crazy noises. They the fly red so high you can't spot. see. Oh, I love, I love when they they're flying huge. it. That almost yep. when they're all like sh -sh -sh doing it. Yep. That's cool. They fly so high you could hear the sound and not be able to see them. Mm. And, uh, I'm, look, I'm actually Google searching Bigfoot world champion. <laughs> I want to get a visual of this guy. Oh, mm -hmm. the, the rock stack thing, Chase. Yep. Um, so the National Park Service actually says that some places they use them as directional uh, indicators when there's not a place to mark trails. Um, but that is not everywhere. So like at Floyd's Fork, oh, I doubt they, 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 they were not marking trails with those. No, I have um, seen them used to But I think that's before. how it started, maybe. Well, they aren't doing anything now. Somebody wants to send me a message and tell me the significance of that. Fine. If you want to defend yourself for your rock stacking, <laughs> rock stacking that's fine. But I just think it's a bad destruction of habitat. Yeah, they also, but they also say do not build unauthorized kind of well, People do them like it out of the gorge and stuff. Floyd's Fork probably has enough people tromping through it that it's not going to destroy the ecosystem out there. You know, it's probably already pretty well, <laughs> you know, some damage has probably been done. And But out there in the gorge, like Chimney Top Creek or something like that, like, just leave them be. Yeah. It's my two cents. Yeah. I've seen a lot of them, though, especially in Arkansas. They're really popular in the Ozarks, like on Buffalo National River and some of the places I like yeah. to go. All the images on national parks was from out west. Hmm. Yeah. Let's talk real quick about, so we've kind of gone over some things that would be good to learn this summer. What are you doing? What do you want? Nothing. I'm just oh, I thought you were giving me I'm, some no, kind of. No, I'm sorry. I'm fidgeting. I thought you were giving me a hand signal. <laughs> I keep going from my <laughs> mic up here. And yeah. I, it's like I, I looked over Rachel and she was looking directly into my eyes <laughs> and doing this hand motion. I was like, what, what, do, you, what do you want? Right now? Sorry, I'm fidgeting. Um, so we've kind of gone over some things that would be good and useful and interesting to learn maybe over the summer. Uh, which is a great time to learn them. And we're talking about, um, you know, I, I was going to say birds and bees, and I didn't mean it that way, but <laughs> birds and bees and butterflies and snakes and reptiles and Flowers. trees and, yeah, all that good stuff. <clears throat> learn that over the summer, and I guarantee you that it's only going to be a benefit. And know? if you're a hunter or a fisherman, either one, yeah. but I have a lot of hunting buddies who started learning birds because of me, and they, their hunting time when they now are not burning. seeing anything is more enjoyable because they're listening and watching birds yeah. and doing things like that. 100% so. sure, 100% sure. Yep. And learning trees can help you make you a better hunter. My next frontier is learning songs better, you know. That's what I saying. know, but just a few. Somebody goes and learns trees, they can become a better hunter. And if mm -hmm. they learn um, birds, they can, even if they aren't a better hunter, they can become a more happy hunter. Mm -hmm. I have a, a better though. entertained hunter, if you yeah. will. I know we all have phones now, but... And anglers, too, you know? Yeah. Fish don't bite all the time, but... Yeah, know. that's very true. There's some... I love to look for different... around? I love to look for different waterfowl, like winter fishing on Lake Cumberland. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's pintails and... Oh, ruddy ducks. There were gold eyes one year. If you're a oh, stream cool. fisherman... Yeah, really cool. If you're a stream fisherman, then you've got all the wildflowers right there. Mm -hmm. the, you know, that's what you're going to be finding. And mm -hmm. so the kingfishers. I do know those really well. Although all the opportunities kind of overlap in one way or the other. 
Let's real quick talk about some things that people could do right now aside from that outside. I think we hit on earlier, um, squirrel season comes in on the 16th of May. Uh, the 15th at noon is uh, bullfrog season starts. And those are, I mean, all fun. We had a bullfrog uh, segment on this past week's show and my grandpa watched it and he was asking me when we could go bullfrog gigging, when we, where we could go and things like that. So I've got to come up with a place now. Um, that was one of the few things I could do is stay out late when I was like 15. I love frog gigs. But I mean, you had to bring frogs home. It wasn't like you'd come home, you know. Empty-handed. Yeah. yeah. You couldn't come home with no frogs smelling like beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> smelling like cigarettes and beer. <laughs> no frogs. <laughs> that didn't fly at all. <laughs> no, you, if you were going to go frog at least come home covered in moss and soaking wet, right? Mm, yes, you had to be muddy, wet, and <laughs> some frogs in a burlap sack. Yeah, that's something that people used to do a lot more of, but people who do still do it really enjoy it. It's mm -hmm. fun. The frog um, legs are good. Let's see. Uh, I'm iffy on them. No, I, really? had them, I had them for the first time at uh, KDV. Oh, yeah. Remember the buffet? Yeah, those were really good. We had them Just down there during turkey season last year. Yep. It was about a year ago. It was the first time I had them. We went down there for the uh, field to fork the turkey hunt mm -hmm. stayed at Kentucky Dam Village and they had the buffet and I was going off about how good the frog legs were going to be and she never had had any and I swear frog legs are one of my favorite foods because I yeah. love chicken and I love fish yeah and it's like a sandwich of both it's yeah. like you got the texture of chicken but with some fish flavor in there you know it's you did not so much I, huh? I'm just I just wasn't a huge fan but I feel like sometimes you have to try things more than once to see if you actually like it so you might have, I'll well, try it again. they were also Buffet frog legs, maybe some homemade ones. <laughs> no, no, my people. <laughs> I guarantee you those probably came in frozen in a bag. Yeah, no doubt. My grandma makes some awesome frog legs, so. have to try them fresh one time. Mom would make them and she'd, you know, but she'd make them for dad. I don't know about she right now, it. but even if you say it's not frog season, I mean, you can go out and get them yourself during frog digging season, but other time of the year, I mean, you can go to the meat market in Taylorsville and buy them. They sell them by five pound bags down there. Hmm. So you can buy them in stores. I don't think they sell them at Walmart, do they? Uh, not that I've seen. Meat Mark in Taylorsville has them. Hmm. That's where my grandma gets them. Um, what else hmm. you guys want to hit on? Anything? Well, I think I got what I wanted to get out there, and that's basically to use Rachel to tell me how to get into something new mm -hmm. as far as birding <laughs> or trees. Because, I mean, it's a great time of year to learn something new. Yeah, and yeah, for those of you listening, you'd be really surprised at how good of a resource Facebook is mm -hmm. for like with, with groups and communities. Oh, there's so many groups. So many groups. I mean, there are, I'm in three different Kentucky birds groups, I think. Like, mm -hmm. there's just so many. Uh, you can post your pictures. If you're a photographer first, bird or second, you can post the pictures you take at your feeders. People will hop on there and identify those really quickly um, if you don't, if you're tripped up on something. So that's a good resource to use as well for birders. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. Join the, the Kentucky birders page. I'm on, uh, are you an admin? Can you approve me? No, I'm not an admin. <laughs> no, I can. Uh, are you on the snake page? No, but I'm going to join both of them. Like, yeah. I'm on all the fishing pages and hunting pages, but I'm not on those pages, and yep. I should be. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, I should be. They're really good at, and the snake page is really good at, at giving you a lot of information. If you're nervous or weird about snakes, you don't like them, and you're just, this is a good way for a lot of people who have that fear to get over it. Um, and there, we have gotten a lot of new members that have said, look, I'm, I'm scared of snakes, but I want to conquer this fear. I want to know what I'm looking at. I want to be educated about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a great way to do it. I think that's the best thing you can do for anything is just be educated about it, even if you are afraid of it. That's most of the reason people are afraid of stuff because they aren't, they don't, <clears throat> they don't know what the heck they're doing. I'm still with. trembling over. Did you see the video that Chase put on Facebook of Which the one? rattlesnakes? Oh, the big rattlesnakes? Yeah, they got so, they were, were they rattling? Oh, yeah. yeah. They were close. I was like, 
<laughs> you'd have seen a, you'd have seen a, a smoke trail or a dust trail from me running as fast as I could the other day away. I feel like I need to. I would like to post some of those pictures and videos in those groups because I mean the rattlesnakes are how, pretty cool. Like how close were you? We get pretty close. Like I mean, within five feet. You remember, they can strike half their body distance. So, <laughs> but you don't want to get that. Rattlesnake is a completely different type of venom. So a copperhead bite you, I really think I'd be okay. Probably wouldn't. I mean, I, okay, I'd probably want to go to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, I always go to the hospital. That's a good advice is to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. I don't think that my big 250-pound self is going to be killed by a copperhead bite that's supposed to kill a rodent. You know, mm -hmm. I might be if I'm allergic to it. It's still dangerous. You don't want to be safe. But a rattlesnake, I would really hate for that to happen. <laughs> Rattlesnakes, uh, it's, Rachel might know more about this, the but, hematoxin versus the... Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, you know, in, in Kentucky, what we tell people is, like, all four of our venomous snakes have the same type of antivenom. Yeah, same antivenom. Um, but the same antivenom across the board. Um, it's actually the whole southeast U.S. Yeah, yeah. So if you're, you know, if you think you've been bit by a venomous snake, um, and also, I think people have a... If you get bit by a snake, okay, what you... The, your first reaction is to track that down to see what bit you. And if you think it's a venomous snake, the best thing you can do is just go ahead and take yourself to the doctor. Yeah, it's not going to matter. No. But, but yeah. the rattlesnake does have a different type of venom, even though it's the same anti-venom. So one of the venoms, and I need to look this up, attacks the cardio system, cardiovascular. Mm -hmm. The other mm -hmm. one attacks the central nervous system, I, I believe. I should really have McGregor or somebody that's an, a true expert in snakes, but they attack your, your body in different ways. Rattlesnake is a combination of the two, and it attacks your body in both ways at the same time. It's supposed to be very painful, and it's supposed to destroy tissue almost like a brown yeah, recluse. They, well, um, that's what they destroy. It's it. Yeah, they definitely go for a the A good friend of mine was on a float in Buffalo National River, and they put their waders out the night before and went oh, in and cooked dinner. This, yeah. And uh, and uh, he was put his waders on. They got he's like, God, there's something burning and, and itchy in my leg. He got nailed by a brown recluse, and he was already about a quarter of a mile, half a mile, three quarters of a mile into the about three quarters of a mile into the float. Yeah. There's no going back. So he had to paddle. I think it was nearly six miles they were doing that day, knowing that because he, he pulled it up it. and it and it's red and then it turned swelling. progressively yeah. redder. And then the he took pictures of it. Then the inside turned black. Then that it, fast within well, six hours? But, well, he just took time last. When he got to the, by the time oh. he got there, it was starting. Then the next day it was black, and then it became blacker and blacker. And all. he still has a big old massive scar on his. Yeah, I've been bitten by spiders, but not Could, to my knowledge. Not. But I was like, he was like, I know, I know, I have to get to the hospital, but I can't go backwards. Yeah. So yeah. you just got to fish it out. Yeah. You just gotta, <laughs> yeah. They didn't fish much. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, keep on, keep on casting. Man, that's crazy. Okay. So now he never. We always take our waders inside and turn them inside turn out. Turn them inside out. Dump them out. Yeah. yeah don't put yeah. them across the rail on the um, deck anymore. Somebody posted on the Kentucky Snake page the other day. They posted a picture of their tennis shoes, and they were like, "Yeah, just if you're leaving your shoes outside, check them before you slip your feet in them." And there was, I think it was a rat snake curl, coiled up inside. Of oh wow! This tennis shoe. Rat snake. That's in Texas. Kentucky you just have to shake them for snakes. scorpions. You say in Texas, mm -hmm. scorpions. Yeah, you have to shake your shoes for scorpions. Kentucky snake identification education. Kentucky reptile rescue. And oh, uh, Kentucky, the first one. This one. No, yeah, that's the one. Look, scroll down. Let me see. Grass snake. Yep, that's the one. It's a racer. It's timber. It's green. And they post. <laughs> I'm just yeah, going, I yeah. Like this. No, right. and then they like they'll it. do like quiz quizzes that are harder pictures where some of the key identification factors that you would normally use are obscured. Um, 
light, you know, light differences make venomous snake pupils expand. So mm-hmm. we use elliptical pupils as an identifier, but if in low light conditions, or it'll expand, so it looks different. Um, so we'll do little quizzes like that, and then uh, they'll post articles about different behaviors and identifiers. So this is a really good uh, page for those who, of you who are you reading the. Yeah, I was just reading that. Yeah, it's interesting. Jeff Finn. He's, he, he starts off, I'm retired from Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Law Enforcement. Blah, blah, it's this big Oh, place. I can't. But, um, I don't that sound familiar. All right. Well, I say we wrap this up. I have it's been of, fun. I have a bunch of stuff I need to do. Thank you all for coming on. But yeah, I think thanks. with this weather heating up, the creek, the smallmouth should spawn should be over. Um, here toward the end of the month, I think from mid-May to mid-June, some of the best times to go fishing of the year. It's also some of the best times to go birding right yeah, now. It's great. Birds are everywhere. Yeah. What was the birding day? Was that Saturday? Mm-hmm. May 8th? Right. They say today is eat anything you want day. Is that right, huh? National eat anything Na- you want. E- eat anything you want. What is it? What day? It's called national eat anything you want day. That's what, day. 365 days of the year. Are. <laughs> 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 what do you mean? All right, guys. I appreciate you coming on. Let's Thanks wrap for it having up. me. Cool. Let's all go birding or fishing or something soon. Floating. Yeah. I'm yeah. looking forward to floating. Ladies. Me too.